Good morning. The world's a little different today than it was last week, isn't it? I'm I listened through Pastor Chuck Smith's uh, Bible studies. He's got 2,000 series, a 3,000 series. The one that I'm listening to is about 40 years old. And I'm in the book of Zechariah, and you would think he was here today talking about what's going on. So the prophetic word, Peter said we have this prophetic word which we do well to give heed to as a light that shines in a dark place. So God tells us what's going to be happening, but he doesn't, I wish he had, I wish he'd put on the calendar on October 15th, this is going to happen, and then on October 30th, that's going to happen. Well, we know a festival is going to happen, but um, <laughs> he didn't do that. And so in Revelation, it says, worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So in these matters, the Lord wants us to put our eyes on, keep our eyes on Jesus and keep our hope in Jesus in all this. So you have on your chair this, uh, we handed this out on Wednesday night. It was a handout from an email from Matt Rourke. Is Matt in here th right now? Okay. He sent this uh, on Wednesday. So I quickly printed it, gave it out. I did the same thing this morning. He said, in light of the recent news coming from Israel, my uncle who lives in Amman, Jordan, as a missionary, sent these prayer points for us to pray. So I'm going to ask us just to take one minute right now. If you would take that in your, and just read it. Uh, quietly as a prayer to the Lord in these matters. So Lord, we pray, as he says in Psalm there, for the peace of, of Jerusalem. We ask, Lord, in Jesus' name, you would direct us in our thinking, in our planning. You said you've not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And we are thankful, Lord, over and over, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. And then we look at what's going on, Lord, and we ask in Jesus' name for you to help us to understand exactly the things that you are calling us individually as families, and as a church to be doing. In honoring you, in believing you, and trusting you. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. So due to these unfolding Middle East events, we've decided, it's interesting because Matthew 13, we're going to be getting into the end time stuff, the tribulation. So it's interesting where we are in the scriptures. Even this morning, a foundational fact, uh, Wednesday night, John Noyce came. He was going to be talking about uh, intelligent design. We asked him at the last minute to switch and talk about the problem of evil. So on Wednesday night, he shared with us, he's from Stand to Reason Apologist. He stand, I thought it was a great place to start as far as what we see going on in our nation today. And so then on, on Sunday mornings, we're going to be getting into this whole area of prophecy uh, and what the Lord has given to us, what we understand, what we don't, and so on Wednesday night, we're going to be, this is the title that sort of sprang from some conversations I was having. What in the world is going on? How many would you say that? So a biblical worldview, biblical prophecy, and a biblical response to current events. On Wednesday night, we're going to start doing that. We're not sure where that's going to take us. We know it's going to be a few weeks. We're going to start in the garden, Genesis 3, and talk about Adam 
the biblical worldview, we have to understand that first of all. What happened? What went wrong? So we're going to start there on Wednesday night, a little team of us, to talk about these things. And then, uh, as Jesus said, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, Greg Laurie always says, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and Greg Laurie. <laughs> if you know who Greg Laurie is, he's a very well-known uh, evangelist. Now, when these, things, when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh. I would say amen to that. So if you would be just praying for us as a church, for those who are going to be sharing, that we can walk this thing out in get, gaining a greater understanding that God is sovereign. He rules over all things. He is working out a plan that began with a prophecy in the Old Testament right when Adam sinned, the fall there launched us into this fallen world and the things we're seeing today. So with that, would you stand? Let's read Mark 12, 28 through 34. We're going to do a little responsive reading, continuing through Psalm 119, the next eight verses. So here we are. Mark 12, the disciples, the disciple and the commandment to love. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, this is verse 28 of Mark 12, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, The first commandment of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God, and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him. Psalm 119, I'll read verse 97. If you would read 98 and even, we'll go through this responsibly. Verse 97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I have restrained my feet from every evil way, that I may keep your word. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Let's pray. So, Lord, we are asking in Jesus' name what we ask daily. We might hear you, know you, walk with you, respond to you, be obedient to you, be learning, be growing, be correctable, walking humbly with our God. And Lord, the things I prepared, I'm asking you, break them fresh, feed us, we are hungry. We're hungry for you. As the deer pants for the water, so we, our souls thirst for you, God. So please take these things, break them fresh, feed us. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We want to honor you right here in this place. We want to honor your word that you yourself have, have exalted above your very name. Speak to us now in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. You can be seated. So a simple outline if it helps you. The disciple and the commandment to love, you shall love 
first of all. The first thing, love God, love your neighbor. Secondly, love is more than all. All burnt offerings and sacrifices. And third, love is the answer to everyone, to all things. Now, to tell you the truth, to teach on the commandment to love is to stand before you as one humbled and even attempting to do so. Now, why is that? Number one, because this thing called love must be defined by God who is love, not by me. I don't get to do that. By opening up our Bibles, that's how we're going to learn. What does God say about this commandment to love? God who is love, God, his word to us. So we do that every Sunday, every Wednesday night. The world, that is our culture, and many who claim to be speaking for God are defining love according to their own ungodly lusts. And right in step with the deceitfulness of their own hearts, many are listening with itching ears and turning away from the truth and being turned aside to fables. What is love? Sin, labeled sincere, is still sin. Lust, labeled love, is still lust. Perversion, labeled permissive, is still perversion. An unrepentant heart denied is still an unrepentant heart. An unforgiving heart justified is still an unforgiving heart. A heart, a hard heart in being excused is still a hard heart. Jesus came to demonstrate to us what love can do. It conquers sin, death, and hell. If we understand what love is. If we understand what truth is. So we don't get to define that. Now, Vody Bachman, in his book, Family Driven Faith, which many of us read together earlier this year, he penned what I believe, for me personally, is one of the best chapters I've ever read on love. I think it should be a part of every pre-marriage and marriage counseling situations. In chapter 3, the title is Learn to Love. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is the heading on that chapter. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. So he says, initially, I was going to title this chapter, Learn to Love God. However, after closer observation, I realized there was more to it than that. Moses' exhortation to love the Lord encompasses much more than a vertical, worshipful relationship. This, is, this exhortation involves more than our relationship to God. One thing is evident in this passage is that the love, of, the love God expects from his followers is not foreign to other relationships. Think about it. Is there one kind of love that is religious and another that is irreligious? Is there one definition of love that governs my prayer life and another that governs my family life? Of course not. Now, in his, what he's defining is love. Love is love. I was reading this to Charlotte last night. She said, that's what some of the LGBTQs are saying. Love is love. Hold on a second. What love are we talking about? We're going to define what God says is love. He goes on. We think love is a random, overwhelming, uncontrollable, sensual force that comes and goes on a whim. In short, we have fallen for the Greco-Roman myth of romantic love, hook, line, and sink, sinker. He is the little arrow-wielding cherub known as Cupid, who roams the earth shooting his arrows of love at unsuspecting saps, who then, quote, fall in love with whomever happens to be nearby. 
If you think this myth is harmless, think again. The idea of love as random, overwhelming, and uncontrollable force has tremendous consequences, unquote. And then he goes to say these myths, four myths. Love is a random force. Myth number two, love is an overwhelming force. Number three, love is an uncontrollable force. Myth number four, love is a sensual force. These are myths. He says a biblical portrait of love, love is an act of the will. Love is a choice. That's why it's a commandment. We choose to love. It's not a feeling. Now he goes on to say, love is accompanied by emotion. Love is not void of emotion. Third, love leads to action on behalf of its object. Then he says, the advantage of the biblical model of love. The biblical model of love is volitional. It's a choice. Secondly, it's transferable. This is a powerful point he makes. I hope you'll get this book if you haven't and read it. Love is secure. And love, it, love satisfies. So to say this morning to you from my heart, it's a humbling thing to stand before you and attempt to talk about this commandment to love. As God defines it, often those feelings have to be put aside to do what God has said in truth and love. Feelings may follow, but they certainly many times don't lead. My decision, my choice, my will... Surrendered to God by the power of the Holy Spirit is the first step in understanding what love is. It's a choice. So, secondly, why else? Because this thing called love was demonstrated by God, who is love. Who came to die on a cross for me. To, that I might know him by reconciling me to him through the cross. Where do you go with that except in, in my, on my knees before God? God demonstrated that love. But the third one, this thing called love must come to define my life as a believer. It must be demonstrated through my life as a believer because I say that I know him who is love. We'll look at some scriptures at the end of our study this morning. And I think what Paul told the Corinthians, who is sufficient for these things? To this, this commandment to love. Paul said, for we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as sincerity as from God. So I hope just to give you this morning as best as I can God's word in this thing called the commandment to love that he's, Jesus is talking to describe about. So you shall love first of all, first thing. One of the scribes came. And having heard, verse 28, them reasoning together, perceiving that he, Jesus, had answered them well, asked him, what is the first commandment of all? The scribes were, were replete with tearing apart the commandments. Now, this one unnamed scribe comes to Jesus with an honest question. And I think for Jesus, it must have been a breath, breath of fresh air. That was anything but what was happening with these others. So here comes a scribe. Far and few between, but he has an honest question. He's been giving himself to the word, giving himself to these things. He says, what's the first, you know, what's the sum of it? What's the best? What's the most important? Uh, Nicodemus was the same way. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and he comes to Jesus by night and asks him a question. Aren't you glad he asked the question? John chapter 3, 
fills our hearts with joy as Jesus answers that question. Do not, you must be born again. Honest question. So which is the first commandment of all? The rabbis counted 613 individual statutes in the law. 365 negative and 248 positive. They numbered them from the heavy ones to the light ones. To them, the ceremonial was much weightier than the moral. So Jesus turned them upside down on their phylactery heads. When he said in Matthew, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, here's the problem, hypocrites. For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, moral, mercy, faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. And he called them out continuously for their hypocrisy. Now, attempts have been made to prioritize the Ten Commandments. Murder is worse than covetousness because it was, it's taking a life. It's failing, though, to see in that what James says is the whole law. You see, the law is a whole entity in and of itself. When you get a traffic ticket, you broke what? The law. James says, whoever shall keep the whole law yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. So the law was given to expose sin. It was given by God to expose sin. It is a whole entity. So the question is, what's the sum of it? What does it all add up to? Where would you place, what would you place at the top of the list? What's the foremost thing? Where, is, where, do, where should my, how do I, and that's what he's asking very sincerely. Now David expressed them in what I would call Psalm 1511 of them, just to go through it. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? Number one, he who walks uprightly. Number two, works righteousness. Number three, speaks the truth in his heart. You could go through this list and just ask the Lord, Lord, would you search my heart? He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. Seven, verse four, in whose eyes a vile person is despised. This is, this is defining what is not love, but what is love is to not do these things. He who honors those who fear the Lord, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change. He who does not put out his money at usury, doesn't take advantage of people, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Micah required them to be three of them. In Micah 6.8, he has shown you, O man, what, is, what does the Lord require of you but to do justly? Number two, love mercy. Three, walk humbly with your God. And certainly these things sum up things and give us some, some uh, understanding. But Jesus commanded them as one. Love. You shall love God and you shall love your neighbor. Now you've heard that a million times as I have also. So he answers him, the Lord, hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The first commandment is this. He begins with it, Shema. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Then he gives more instruction. Teach them diligently to your children. Talk with them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, all non-combative times. 
that word, God's word, God's law, God's statutes, God's judgment. Speak, teach your children, tell them all about it, and keep telling them. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your, on your gates. The Shema was the foundation of Judaism. This passage. The Lord is totally unique. He, is alone, he alone is God. He's the God of Israel, the Lord, capital L, capital O, the covenant God. This confession of faith was recited by pious Jews every morning and every evening. The Shema. This is where Jesus starts. It was tucked into their phylacteries. It was banded on their foreheads and wrists. It was posted on their doors. It, off, it affirmed two things. Number one, hero Israel, the Lord our God, is the covenant God of Israel. The personal, faithful, merciful, and living God of Israel. The Lord our God. Yahweh is totally unique apart from all other so-called gods. There is only one God. It's the covenant God of Israel, Yahweh. He alone is God. Would you say amen? The Lord is one. He is not only the covenant God of Israel, he is the compound God. In relationship with himself, he is the person of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What we call the Trinity. The Lord our God, Elohim, is plural, implies the Trinity. Not single El nor dual Elia. But the Lord our God, the word God is Elohim, plural. One, the word one there, is a compound unity. We refer to this as the Trinity. Two Hebrew words for one, akad and yaked. The word yaked in Hebrew means an absolute one. That is not the word that's used. Akad is a compound unity, same word used for Adam and Eve. They became one flesh. You could say that Charlotte and I are, are a compound unity. It's not quite as romantic, but there you have it. <laughs> now, if God had said, is ya God said, the Lord is Yaqed, any argument for the Trinity would have been blown out of the water. But in declaring he is Akad, you have in the word the compound unity of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. It's this incredible mystery of God, but necessary if God is love. There's a book that I read that I think is fantastic. I'm going to give you a couple books this morning. It's called Desiring, Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. Just quote a couple of them. I'll let you get the book. I hope you will and read it because it's so excellent in understanding why, there, why God must be a trinity to be a God who is love. He says, the triunity of God is the secret of his beauty. If we keep this, that the one God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we cannot escape the fact, either in general or in detail, that apart from anything else, God is also beautiful. He goes on, if God is not Father, Son, and Spirit, then he is eminently rejectable. Without love, radiance, or beauty. Who would want such a God to have any power even to exist? Now, this, this requires some surrounding reading. I'll just give this to you, and you can take it where you want. But the triune living God of the Bible is beauty, capital B. 
Here is a God who we can really want and whose sovereignty we can wholeheartedly rejoice in. God is love. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He closes the book with this. Without Jesus the Son, we cannot know that God is truly a loving Father. Without Jesus the Son, we cannot know him as our truly loving Father. But as Luther discovered, through Jesus, we may know that God is a Father, and we may look into his fatherly heart and sense how boundlessly he loves us. God is love. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. Everything. All your heart. That's the real you. Now, love is real because God is real. And love is real because God is real in my life. With all your soul. That's the conscious you. You see, love is relational because God is relational. And this relationship with God uh, 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 displays itself in loving one another. All your mind, listen, that's the thinking you. You see, love is rational because God is rational. And as you get to know God, you realize he knows what he's talking about. And it makes sense. All your strength, that's the doing you. You see, love is responsible because God is responsible. So God in our lives is real. He's relational. He's rational And he's taking responsibility for me because he loves me. I always tell the Lord, you know, you chose me, I'm your problem. (laughs) But he demonstrated to me that he's going to take care of me. He's going to keep me in all my ways. He's going to present me before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, the only wise God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so am I looking forward to seeing him and being with him? You bet I am. Not even a question. To, because God is real. God is, rela- is relational. He's rational. And God is taking responsibility, demonstrated through the cross, to have relationship with me that he will keep me in all my ways. The second like it is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. He commands them as one. Love God. Love your neighbor. We are commanded to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we are commanded to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, when I was down in Costa Mesa, California for five years, and I was in a hippie house, it was a discipleship house, the one-year program, and I was there five years, uh, part of the, as called a deacon. The brother who was, at, when I first arrived there, then went up to pastor a, church, a Calvary chapel, faithfully, incredible man. But at that time, he had a three-part series that he did from this text. Part one, love God, loving God. Part two, loving your neighbor. Part three, loving yourself. And it really captured us. There was included, included in that third part a lot of stuff about the problems that we have because we don't love ourselves. Well, this 
wonderful brother, whom I'm still in touch with, he soon after realized down the road the problem. You see, the problem is not that we don't love ourselves. The problem is that we love ourselves too much. How many of you find self getting in the way of loving others? Don't raise your hands because you don't have to raise them. <laughs> if I were to ask you next week to bring in a four by six picture of your family, we're going to put a board up on that wall there, put all the family so we can get to know who's who and all that. And so we do that, and next Sunday, next Sunday when you come back, who's the first person you're going to look for on that pasture board? See, that's what happened in the fall. They knew they were naked. Whether we like to admit it or not, we naturally love ourselves. We are innately selfish. So what does Jesus say? What does Bible say, kill it. That old man, that selfish, central, uh, you know, vibrating in our hearts, kill it. Put it to death. That's what Jesus accomplished for on the cross. You see, Ephesians says, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes, cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. We take care of ourselves. But love does not focus solely on self, which is a continual temptation to the flesh. But love must, with equal effort, be directed toward others. Love God, love your neighbor. In Philippians, which we're just getting done, just got done studying, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Jesus is our example. But in loneliness of mind, let each esteem others. Better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. That's love. So there are two axes to this life of love. There's our relationship with God, the vertical, and there's a relationship with others, the horizontal. Those are the two axes of life, the life of love. The vertical directly affects the horizontal. So when I get off kilter in loving God, it begins to affect my kilterness, not Scottish, our kilterness toward others, toward others. That's what Jesus is saying here. The second, like it, is this. In other words, you can't separate them. We'll look at these scriptures in a little bit. We cannot separate them, although we'd like to think in our minds that we can Another scribe asked Jesus about these same truths. In Luke chapter 10, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, not sincere. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Here he goes. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly, do this and you will live. Jesus said to him, "Great, that's the answer. There it is, same one we're looking at. But he wanted to justify himself. You know the story. And who is my neighbor? I'm doing pretty good on that one. So Jesus goes on to tell the story of the good Samaritan, is what it's known. He said there, 
A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and he saw him, and it says he passed by on the other side. Aren't these masterful stories and drawing out what's going on in our hearts? Passed by on the other side, this religious guy. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, he came and looked, and then it says he passed by on the other side. Now, Jesus used now a Samaritan. Now, the Jews hated Samaritans. As he journeyed, a certain Samaritan came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He sat him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, took care of him. He had compassion on him. He took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. Wow, what a, what a compassionate guy. He's a Samaritan. Jews hate Samaritans. Jesus is, again, giving this guy an understanding. This is what that means, not what you think it means. And so he said, so which, of these three do you, so which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. That's love. That's what it means to love our neighbor. To be compassionate, to go to them, to help them, to pay what need, what need be able for them. No, it does say, he says, who is my neighbor? He's not, he's saying, but which of these was neighbor to him? You see, the action item is on my side. Who can I be a neighbor to? Do I have my, <laughs> my eyes open? Am I willing to be interrupted? Am I willing to stop and help and go out of my way? Because there's a person that needs mercy, needs compassion. So verse 32 in our text, so the scribe said to him, well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God and there is no other but he. And to love him with all of the heart, all the understanding, and all the soul, and all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt, things, burnt offerings and sacrifice. I love what David Guzik says from this. He says, quote, a thousand burnt offerings are not more to God than a single act of love done in his name, unquote. God help us. We can have all the things so patented and so in order and so looking so good. And yet what God is saying is, are you being a neighbor? Are you going to people? Are you helping people? Are you loving them? As yourself, as you would take care of yourself. Paul said in, to the Corinthians, though I speak with the tongue of men and angels, but have not love, I become a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. Just a lot of annoying noise. Eloquent, yes, noise drowns it all out. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so I can remove mountains but have not love, he says, I am nothing. It's just a lot of noise, a lot of hot air, a lot of show, but no substance. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, great sacrifice. And though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. Wow. You see, when we give to God, 
we're laying up treasure in heaven. When we're just giving to have the show, it's not love. So he says this in 1 Corinthians. You know these well. So here we go. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Now, my pastor Chuck had us do this very revealing exercise in this passage. He said, replace the word love with your name. How's it go? Kevin suffers long and is kind. <laughs> Kevin does not parade himself. Kevin is not puffed up. Kevin does not behave rudely. Kevin does not seek his own. Kevin is not provoked. Now, that's impossible when you're driving on our highways. <laughs> I don't think it applies in the car. <laughs> Kevin thinks no evil. Kevin does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Kevin bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Kevin never fails. <laughs> eh, eh, wrong. How about your name in there? Ooh. But you see, this is where we have to understand that the love of God poured into our hearts begins to manifest itself in changing our hearts. Moment by moment, day by day, week by week, year by year, God is working in us to will and to do of what pleases him. I think I'm a little more loving than I used to be. But then again, my, I can't remember anything, so maybe I'm not. <laughs> but then what he said, now replace the word love with the name of Jesus. Jesus suffers long and is kind. You bet he does. Jesus does not parade himself. Philippians. God himself humbled himself, made himself of no reputation. Taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus does not parade himself. Jesus is not puffed up. Jesus does not behave rudely. Jesus does not seek his own. Jesus does not provoke, thinks no evil. Jesus does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoice in the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Here it is. Jesus never fails. He closes the Corinthians by going, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, understood as a child, I thought as a child. That's reverse of how it should be. We should first think, understand, and then speak. But as a child, we just go at it. And his whole thing is, now abide faith, hope, love, but the greatest of these is love. And that's the great work of God in our lives in the commandment to love. So love then in verse 34, 
Now when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him. Jesus saw that he answered, he saw he answered wisely. Jesus saw his sincerity. He sees he's unlike the other scribes that came with ulterior motives. This is a sincere question. The man had given it much thought. He was still pondering. And so he's asking very sincerely, what is the greatest commandment? What's the first and foremost? He said, you're not far from the kingdom of God. He's encouraging this man, and I think for ourselves also, to continue to embrace these truths thoughtfully. Challenge him to continue to live them out personally. You're not far. The kingdom is coming. You're not far from the kingdom. The heart of God, what God's doing, you're not far. You're making your way. You're making headway. Keep on it. Remember, he's coming soon. But after that, no one dared question him. See, his detractors are silenced once again, and now it's Jesus' turn to ask the questions. Next study. So, must be defined by God who is love. It, must, it's, it was demonstrated by God who is love to us. Because this thing called love must come to define my life as a believer. It must come to define your life as a believer. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. I say, how, does fruit, how do you bear fruit? Hang in there. Hang in there. John 15. Abide in him as, and, and as you abide in him and he in you, you bear much fruit. What's the fruit? Love. In fact, in, the, in chapters 13 through 17 of the book of John, Jesus' last words to his disciples, his prayer in the garden is loaded with this word, love. I mean, we're talking loaded. I think it's 34 or 35 times. It talks about love. And so Jesus in 13, he says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So I look at that, I go, okay, wait. A new commandment, what's the new commandment? You're going to love differently. You're going to love as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Because I, I, if I'm understanding this correctly, He's not letting us off the hook if we can't love like he loves. That you love one another as I have loved you and that you love, that you also love one another. You need to continue to love whatever plane that means for you, whatever that means as far as where you're at, how it's going, how you're growing, how you're being sanctified. He's saying this is a new command, love one another. By this all, will all, that, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one another. Do you have some love today? If you love me, keep my commandments, he said. Chapter 14, he who has my commandments and keeps them it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. It's in that loving relationship with Jesus Christ, demonstrating loving others, that we begin to understand more and more God's heart and what it means to love someone. First, chapter 15, as the Father loved me, I also 
have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments. And Jesus says four times, as I have, as I have, as I have. God is always the initiator. We're the responders. I've given you an example. As I've loved you, what I'm going to do for you. Verse, chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one this than to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. These things I command you that you love one another. Chapter 17. This, this, is a, a, this ending here struck me at one point and still does this morning. He's wrapping the whole thing up in his high priestly prayer there in chapter 17, but also in 13 through 16. In talking to disciples about the Holy Spirit, about the empowerment they were receiving, about the fruit they'll be, they'll, be, they'll be bearing. And he says this to wrap up his prayer. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory which you have given me. Notice, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. The glorious Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The glory of the love of the Trinity. Jesus is saying, I desire the altar whom you gave me to be with me where I am. They may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. It's eternal love. Eternal perfection. Verse 26, and I have declared to them your name and will declare it notice that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. It's relationship. And Jesus is praying not only for those disciples, but for each one of us. This commandment to love is a commandment to enter into this relationship of the glory of God and the Trinity and love of the, whole, of the Godhead. And listen, to never be the same. How has the love of God changed your life? It always comes back to that. Can I have the worship team come out? I didn't know if I, well, here, I got another verse for you. This is a song. Some of you know it. So I'm going I'm to put it up there and then we're going to sing it. I'm going to say it first. Beloved, let us love one another. This is King James. For love is of God, and everyone, everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Now, how do you like King James? You ready? How many know this song? Okay, you got to help me out. Beloved. Okay, there's an echo. You're the, you're the, you know. The girls echo. So the guy goes, beloved. you love me? <laughs> Guys, beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Beloved, let us love one another, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. No, you're not done yet. Stand up. Okay. Oh. 
going to sing this. Yeah, okay, good job. Okay. Is this too corny a way to end a message on love? Here's the deal. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you that your joy may be full. Beloved, let us love one another, one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love, God is love, beloved. Let us love one another, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. One more time. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. God is love. Let us love one another, First John 4, 7 and 8. Give us a song. I'm just going to stay here. End it there. Do you want to end it there?